the treatment of the Stevens whanau at the hands of the justice system can be revealed today after a year-long gagging order imposed by a coroner was lifted yesterday by a High Court judge following legal action by RNZ. That's RNZ Morning Report host Corin Dan introducing a story by Guyan Espiner. He went on to reveal that a coroner had, without evidence, blamed the family of Shagan Stevens for leaking court documents to the media. Stevens was shot by police and Espiner had been following his family's efforts to uncover the events leading up to his death, which included him being subjected to, quote, ninja-style late-night bail checks by police officers who described themselves in emails as, quote, night stalker bros. That reporting was put on hold when the coroner who accused Stevens' family of leaking, J.P. Ryan, also banned the media from covering the case in a decision that was in place for a year before it was overturned by the High Court. Espiner is one of a growing number of reporters putting the spotlight on our legal system and he's not the only one running into obstacles inside the courts. Stuff's Kirsty Johnston recently won a Voyager Award for Best Reporter in part for a story she wrote on a woman referred to as Mrs P, who'd been falsely accused by a judge of lying about being a victim of domestic abuse. In what's become a common problem for her, Johnston struggled to source court transcripts to cover the case. She told Media Watch it's difficult to properly scrutinise district courts in particular, given they hear thousands of cases a year and their judgments aren't routinely made publicly available. Here's what she had to say. The lack of access to court information, what actually happens in hearing and what is on the court file, makes it a near impossible task to scrutinise the court system. Johnston is motivated to negotiate these pitfalls because of what she sees as significant and often overlooked inequities inside the legal system for women and minority groups in particular. This is how she puts it in the introduction to the podcast Tell Me About It, which she co-hosts with her colleague Michelle Duff and producer Noelle McCarthy. I'm Kirsty Johnston. I'm a reporter at Stuff specialising in the justice system. I'm Michelle Duff. I'm a national correspondent at Stuff, and I write about issues affecting women and children. We're both obsessed with the way the system is rigged against women and minorities, and that's what we come up against and what we're trying to highlight in all of our work. Stuff's rival NZME, owner of The Herald and News Talk ZB, is also devoting extra resources and attention to the courts. It recently received nearly $3 million from the Public Interest Journalism Fund for its project Open Justice to Partiti, which is funded to employ 15 specialist journalists to cover everything from the Supreme Court to the Tenancy Tribunal. The project has increased coverage of our courts across the country, including several in smaller towns and regions that haven't seen regular scrutiny in some time. People involved in Open Justice told Media Watch that reporters have been asked to leave courts by staff that were unfamiliar with the fact that they're permitted to be there by law. Stories generated by the project receive a million or more clicks per week, according to a source at NZME, and some have a real impact. Earlier this month, Open Justice to Partiti reporter Jeremy Wilkinson reported on an opportunist rental scammer who had preyed upon immigrants and young tenants for years. Judith Webby had been posing as a landlord using a variety of fake names, and even though her scams had been exposed on fair go in the past, she was still doing it, because those who reported her to police were told it was merely a tenancy matter and she never turned up to the hearings. 
tonight. Why have you still got their money? Because I want to. When flatmates fall out, where do you turn? We just felt bullied. It wasn't until Wilkinson reported a relatively obscure human rights review tribunal decision against Webby recently that the full range of her repeated offences and bullying was exposed by the New Zealand Herald and several other outlets around the country. Despite these sorts of successes, Open Justice's future is far from guaranteed. Its funding runs out in September next year, though NZME can apply for further funds in either of the two final PIJF rounds. We asked NZME to put someone forward for an interview about the impact Open Justice has had so far and what the future may hold. It is, after all, a publicly funded project devoted to openness and accountability. The company declined to be interviewed. So, we looked a little bit closer to home for an interview. RNZ has also scrutinised the justice system with a recent project from its investigative team in depth titled, Is This Justice? It revealed, among other things, that Pākehā are discharged without conviction and granted name suppression at higher rates than Māori, that 90% of High Court and Court of Appeal judges are Pākehā, and that judges could be presiding over cases of people they know. In-depth's editor Veronica Schmidt says the series was motivated in part by personal experience. She recently went through a multi-year court ordeal after being filmed without her permission in a Kmart changing room cubicle. At the end of a piece she wrote for RNZ describing that experience, she pointed to some of those inequities in the system, questioning whether she would have been able to go through the legal process if she'd been traumatised by a more serious crime, or whether she could have even pursued a case in the first place if she didn't have access to stuff like childcare or paid leave. I'm a privileged person and was the victim of a relatively minor crime and it took a lot out of me to get justice. So, how much does the system cost the less privileged? How much does it cost the victims of serious crimes? She told MediaWatch the increased media spotlight on the justice system is welcome, but more still needs to be done and projects like Open Justice are just the start. Guy and Espinner and I, he's an investigative reporter here at RNZ, we'd both been working on stories that involved um, drawn-out legal processes, and neither of us had been court reporters before. So uh, we came. some would say we came to it with naive eyes, but I think we came to it with fresh eyes, actually. So we, had our, we were in courtrooms a lot, and we had our heads in legal papers, and we were watching sort of judges at work and lawyers at work and witnesses and all of that stuff. And we kept coming back to the office and saying do you know how they do this? You know, like, is this right? What do you think of this? And um, it went on and on and on. We were having these conversations and we ended up roping the team in and decided to do a deep dive on it. Guy and Espiner ran into some uh, measures to impede his reporting when it came to the case of Shagan Stevens. Could you just explain what those were? Yeah, that's right. So in June 2021, Guy on revealed some previously untold details about a fatal police shooting of a man um, called Shagan Stevens, a Rotorua man. So we published that and broadcast it, and two days later we were, in effect, gagged um, from reporting most of the details of the case. The coroner in the case, Coroner J.P. Ryan, issued what was called an interim non-publication order, which was basically a media ban, um, and it covered all evidence given and submissions that were part of the coronial inquiry. So, in effect, we could report very little on the case. And so we were concerned, particularly because his reporting um, sparked 
um, the IPCA to reopen their investigation into the shooting. Um, and as this was going on, we were kind of banned from reporting most details. So we took legal action. We asked the High Court to review the non-publication order, but it took us almost a year to get a court date. And during that time, what we could report was very much diminished. Was this one of those eye-opening moments where you thought, hey, this system is not open and it's not being scrutinised to the degree it should be? Look, if we could have got a court uh, a court hearing within a week or two and had it out and, and seen what the arguments were and then gone about our business, that's one thing. But we waited for a year um, and then a couple of days before the hearing, the police who had opposed our action um, to have that gagging order um, dropped, they dropped their opposition. But it took a year. Yes, there are processes you need to go through, um, and we were willing to go through it, but it's the time lag, especially when you're reporting on a live case. Have the courts been open to having that kind of scrutiny applied to them? We were pleased that the Chief Justice, Helen Winkelman, spoke with us for the series, but then shortly after you know, the series finished, Stuff ran an article in which... Um, the reporter Eddie Gay quoted a leaked email from the Chief Justice, which we figure was about our series, and Stuff figured it was about our series too, um, because one of our stories there was about the ethnicity and gender of judges. And so, yeah, there's this leaked email that Stuff saw, and it said that recent media coverage had created inaccurate narratives about the makeup of the judiciary, which surprised us because. Our figures were obtained from Crown Law and the Ministry of Justice. So our reporter, Anusha Bradley, went to the Chief Justice and said, what were the inaccurate narratives that you believe that were in our series? And we didn't get a response to that. In the reporting as well. Some of the, some of the stories are about stuff like journalists waiting a year or more for court documents and families of you know victims having the same problem. What changes do you think need to be made to make the courts more open, to provide us with, you know, as they say, open justice? There's an argument that the courts are open because the actual courtrooms are open. You can walk into them and watch pretty much any case unfold. So they are open in that way. The issue is that most people cannot go and sit in courtrooms every day or be in courtrooms across the country to see if a guy they've invested money with is in the dock for fraud or if a guy they've kind of trusted their kids with is on abuse charges. So they do rely on the media for that to report what's going on because of financial constraints and actually because of a growing population. You can't have a reporter in every newsroom in the country anymore and that means that you kind of, as much as people would like to, I should say, um, you come back to trying to get information after the fact. And, you know, there's delays there. um, And some judges are really open and quick and will give you documents that um, tell you what's happened in court and what's happening in cases, and others are not. Um, And so, yeah, I think journalists feel frustrated because they want to tell the public what's going on and sometimes they can't. And, you know, these aren't short delays. I personally put in our request for a court file to the North Shore District Court in September 2020, and I've yet to get a response. And that that case is... um, So I wanted to know what had happened in the District Court. That case has since been to the High Court, the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court, and it's over, and I haven't got the District Court file yet. Do you think that it's because some of these judges and court staff in particular haven't had to deal with media scrutiny just because of our financial constraints? Maybe they don't even meet 
people come across a journalist all that often anymore. Yeah, that's possible. And and certainly I know, you know, media organisations are under massive financial pressure and the whole business model of how um, um, commercial media operates is, is going through quite the time. And so it is difficult to get reporters into courtrooms. And I suppose, you know, if you're on the judiciary, maybe you think if you want to cover it, you're in the courtroom and, and that's not always possible. With Is This Justice... There's not a lot of reporting into more of these systemic, these underlying issues. There is court reporting about cases that are ongoing, but there wasn't a lot of that sort of reporting. Had I just missed us talking about these systemic issues, or have we kind of dropped the ball on really analysing the justice system as a whole and the systemic issues with it. Guyon and I were both surprised by some of the things we had seen in the system and also as as our team uncovered things, we were sort of shocked about certain things and, and if we didn't know about them, we figured other people didn't either. So probably there hadn't been enough of a spotlight on the system. Do you think that media spotlight is now starting to be turned upon the justice system. I think of Kirsty Johnston's reporting in particular about the family court and some of the stuff and the abuses that can happen through that. Uh, are, are we getting better in that area? Yeah, like, there, there's, as, there's certainly reporters doing some incredible work um, in that space, and Kirsty is one of them. And as you say, her family court work has been really interesting. There's been debate going on, to be fair, about the family court for a really long time and the secrecy, and there's arguments on both sides, mostly about protecting the privacy of children and on the other side about the fact that, A, the system should be under scrutiny and, B, people should know what's going on in their courts. Um, Are we doing better? Look, I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I think there's... The justice system—it's such a you know—it's a pillar of d- d- democracy, and I think um, you have to keep that scrutiny up always. No, I think maybe stuff like the fact that they're not subject to the OIA—they don't have to respond to your request in a particular time frame—is that stuff that impeding journalists? Mm, yeah, well, yes, exactly. Um, the Official Information Act is such a, a tool. Um, for journalists and the courts aren't subject to it. So Geoffrey Palmer, um, he was pre- previously the president of the Law Commission as well as obviously um, the Prime Minister once upon a time, um, he reckons there needs to be a court equivalent of the Official Information Act. He says something like a Court Information Act. He says you need legislation to deal with access to court documents because right now it's done by rules decided by the judiciary. So the judiciary decides the rules by which they then decide whether to release things. Um, but is there a political appetite to, to get that legislation in place? I haven't seen it. Do you worry about the future of our court reporting? It's been really cool to see um, Open Justice running and seeing more court reporting out there. And, and as a reader, I've as enjoyed the right word when you're, sometimes, when you're sometimes reading about awful things. I've enjoyed seeing more from the courts.